Welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything it takes to get your organization focused on and selling customer value. Today, I am thrilled to have somebody I've known for, for years and met from my days uh, as a consultant, uh, Tim Reflake. It works for uh, a contractor or for a company that builds um, fireplaces and fire products for contractors. Um, and he is the vice president, correct, of sales enablement, sales marketing, sales training, and all things supporting sales. Close. How close am I, Tim? You're, you're closer than most, Mark, and thanks for the invite. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you today. So tell us a little bit about your role and, and your history and um, bring us up to speed also, you know, so my audience can kind of get a flavor of who you are and, and what your role is in a business-to-business -business sales organization. Yeah, certainly happy to. Um, nobody grows up uh, thinking that they're going to be a fireplace salesman. Right. I don't know. I've never talked to a 10 year old that said, what do you aspire to be? And he says, I aspire to sell fire. Um, so it just this job found me more than I found it. And that was gotten a mark almost 40 years ago. Um, wow. So it's been uh, it's been a lifelong uh, journey to be what in what I call the romance and entertainment business, which is what we call it uh, here. Uh, fire is uh, has a very emotional touch point for for home buyers as a focal point of their home and and uh, when I'm doing sales training with uh, with our new hires, uh, I say you know you you need to get on your knees every morning and thank whatever God you worship that you're able to to sell in this category and not some other commodity building products you know such as sheetrock and lumber and things like that that don't have quite the emotional appeal for home buyers. And um, so, yeah, it's been it's been a blessing. Uh, I work for Hearth and Home Technologies and our our trade brands, which your listeners may or may not have heard of in the past, are Heatalator, Heat and Glow, Vermont Castings, Majestic, Harman Quadrifier. So, we we are the largest hearth manufacturer in the world, and about we're headquartered out of uh, Lakeville, Minnesota. Multiple manufacturing facilities across uh, the United States. And about half of our business mark is uh, new construction and the other half is aftermarket or existing home channel. And then all of our business, uh, our sales reps, we sell to resellers. So on the new construction channel, we sell to installing distributors who are the subcontractor to the general contractor. And on the retail side, we sell to retail hearth shops who then deal directly with the consumer. Um, and you and I met at a, uh, a conference for uh, sales performance given by this big sales training company that we were both affiliated with and uh, sat next to each other and kind of um, learned that we are kindred spirits. And uh, I have enjoyed your company and, and having conversations with you and being connected on LinkedIn. And um, I have really enjoyed your eye for boiling stuff down to what's really important. And so that's, that's a big part of why I enjoy your company and why I wanted to have you here today. Well, um, that was forced brevity because for, for almost uh, 11 years now, I've um, on Twitter and both LinkedIn, I've put a sales tip out there every Monday through Friday. 
And um, so if you remember when Twitter first came, I think it was 140 characters or something like that. It was pretty short and pretty brief, right? Uh, they've since doubled that uh, allotment. But, uh, I, you know, the, I think it was Ben Franklin who said I had to write you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short one. Yeah. It's, it's hard to boil things down to the essence, right? And so I found that, um, and brevity is not a discipline that I have. So I thought that if I stayed within the context of Twitter and really kind of having to boil it down to the essence, that that was a short snippet enough that uh, the short attention span of the salespeople I was trying to send messages to on social media could <laughs> absorb that. <laughs> I think you're selling yourself short, but uh, because it's something that, uh, the, the pithy, really bright observations have been great. And one of those is what you kind of started with is the emotional attractiveness of fire because the additional price a fireplace or a hearth or, or any fire type feature adds to a home is what, a couple thousand bucks. Uh, but the enjoyment factor of and the emotional appeal of just knowing you could sit by a fire is worth far more than that yeah uh definitely and and you know we can take that i don't want your listeners to think that they're going that they've signed up for a half hour of listening to the fireplace industry here so let's <laughs> let's take that analogy and just sort of broaden it out right nobody no customer buys your product for what it is they buy it for what it does for them so, you know, the feature can stay the same, the benefit changes with each customer. And I know you and I in the past have talked about uh, the, the overly used quarter inch drill bit story, right? That the, yeah. the, the customer at the store who puts the, the hardware store who puts the quarter inch drill bit on the counter doesn't want a drill bit. They, what they need is a quarter inch hole. They want what it does for them. Yeah. And so I've used I've used that analogy in the past, as has a lot of people. And then recently I read uh, Seth Godin, who's a, you know, a marketer, marketing mind that I certainly get something from every time I, I read what he puts out. He took that to a whole nother level about, well, they didn't need a quarter inch hole. They needed to hang a bookshelf. And the reason they needed to hang the bookshelf is because they needed their room cleaned up. And the reason they needed their room cleaned up was because they needed order in their life. So they don't want a quarter inch drill bit. What they want is order in their life and security. Yeah. So he took that to a, you know, and, and, and for somebody like you who makes your living around value clarity and clarifying that in value, yeah. uh, that really, when I read that, I go, well, that's why Seth Godin sells a, a ton of books and, and I write a, you know, a little tweet once in a while. No, well, uh, and, and I love that. And sometimes it's not that they want order in their life, it's that they want order in their wife's life because, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> because, right. Uh, but uh, I, I was just having this conversation with somebody earlier today and that they said value is what people, what somebody's willing to pay. And true enough, that is, Kind of a good top level definition of value but it's not particularly actionable if i remind people exactly as you said that value is the desirability of those outcomes so how badly do you want that order in your life how badly do you want your wife to be happy about what you've done for her and how much are you willing to pay for that happiness or that order 
or that domestic tranquility, that's the value. So the value is the desirability of the outcome. And uh, you hit the nail on the head. And um, I love the fact that you clarify that for your sales forces, because so many sales forces could easily walk down the path of uh, I'm selling so many BTUs. And yeah. Yep. And, and in, in our category, and we're not the emotion, we're not the only emotional category in new construction, right? The, the kitchen is, is kind of the heart center of, of a home today. The, the bedroom, the master bedroom, the owner suite has turned into a basically a residential spa these days. Yeah. And so there's a lot of emotionally connected uh, products and and what I try and reinforce with our our salespeople when I'm doing new new onboarding training is that customers are come to our product in their magic moments and their tragic moments. So if they're if they're celebrating uh, a job promotion, sometimes they'll pop some champagne and, and sit by the fire. If they're mourning perhaps a layoff or a job loss, um, sometimes they seek comfort with the fire. So. Uh, it's no matter what product or service you sell, it, it, it you know, you kind of take it, take it back to there, there, there is so much psychology, Mark, as you know, to, to selling. Um, I've got a, a buddy here in the Twin Cities where I live uh, named Tim Murray. And he says this all the time. And every time he says that I always laugh, but Tim says, I may not be much, but I am all I like to talk about. <laughs> and and if you can under what I tell our guys and gals is I said, if you can understand the psychology behind that sentence, you can be successful in selling because it, your, your customer is always going, you know, yeah, I know you got all these features. I know you got this benefit list, but how is it going to make my life better, easier, faster, more economical? What's in it for, for me? Right. And, and so, it goes back to kind of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, that, that again is another psych psych psychological layer you can put on the sales process. But that very bottom of that triangle is food, shelter, clothing. And yeah. so hearth and fire and warmth and being able to have a fire at night that kept the saber toothed tigers away, the caveman figured out a long time ago that fire can be your friend, right? Yeah, you know, and, and to your point that we don't wanna turn this all about fireplaces, but you've made this about emotion and uh, got a really close colleague. We're starting to work together um, on a couple of client projects. She used to be a vice president of sales for one of the big software companies. Uh, so she was VP of sales for, you know, four, 800 people and, um, and sold CRMs to other companies. And so she got to visit a lot of technology sales companies and do a lot of uh, research. And she is adamant that the number one failing of technology sales forces, salespeople is that they sell tech, they sell features, they sell techno babble, they don't sell outcomes. And you have the blessing of being able to talk about very emotionally uh, evocative outcomes, but this is a universal problem that you can't talk about your stuff. You have to talk in the language of the customer's outcome. Uh, and that's, that's universal. 
It, it, it is. And, and the reason that those salespeople go out there and become tech heads, that's our fault. And when I say ours, it's whoever's in charge of that sales training and onboarding because we hire a new professional uh, salesperson. And what does that onboarding look like? We pour them, we, we, we strap their head to a table and we put a funnel in their ear and we pour their head full of tech, you know, product tech specs, feature benefit, how are our product or service lineup against the competition. So we give them onboarding sales training that's all about us. And then we turn them loose and say, okay, now go out and sell, but sell from a customer's perspective and not ours. And that's super stupid because we've asked them to do something which is 180 degrees away from what we've onboarded and trained them to do. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. Um, it's a huge problem for you, but it's job security for me. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I, I was I, I started and I had a lot of years before I was in the sales function, uh, being in product marketing and product management. And I was lucky enough to have my first product manager job in a company that was maniacal about customer value. So uh, we would talk a little bit about the technology things we could do, but um, in the sales meetings, uh, I would say, here's three problems. At, look for customer with these problems. And if you find two of these problems, call me because I don't want to tell you about our manufacturing process or our specs. Just if they need have any of these two, pro two of these problems, call me. And um, it, what that came from a function of there was 70 salespeople and 70 product managers. And so your job was to simplify it and to get share of mind at the exact right moment that a salesperson ran into a customer with the problems that you could solve rather than one of the 69 other people, three of whom might have been able to solve that problem pretty closely. So it was a share of mind exercise, but it forced me to communicate anytime I was talking in the general direction of a customer, the communication has to be in the language of the customer problem, in the language of the customer outcome, in the language of the customer need. So I changed all my product training and all my product information to outcome-based, product-based, value-based. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that has stood me in good stead uh, through a lot, of different, a lot of different jobs and now through a couple different clients. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, having spent my entire career in B2B sales, um, this, the, the sales training organization that allowed you and I to cross paths has this concept of win result statements, right? That there's a personal win and there's a business result. And after having, you know, almost an entire career in selling, I thought, well, I mean, that hit me over the head like a two by four, because I was going, wow, that, I wish someone would have told me that story 20 years sooner, because I'd spent 20 years thinking, well, if I can get a good business result, of course, that's a win for the person across the table from me, right? Yeah. And, I, and I spent too much time, too, too often, I, I gave, I, I did not spend enough calories on what's the personal win for this individual, even though they're making a business decision for their company. And, you know, go back, Mark, to your, your example of, of your friend who sold software and CRM. Yeah, that may sound like a technology sale, 
But that person who's across that desk that's going to pull the trigger on that decision, what he or she are thinking is, will this decision make me look good to my peers? Will I look smart to my boss? Will this look like a good business decision that perhaps could put me in line for promotion, perhaps could help me with a bonus, right? It, 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 their personal uh, decisions have so much impact on B2B business decisions and that personal influence, you just can't overlook it. It's too important. Yeah. And um, one of the things I've always been impressed by with you and your sales organization is that you really um, beat that home. Um, and it, when I, I ran with a whole bunch of sales consultants from that company and probably in my nine years there, I, I rubbed shoulders with 150, 200 of them. And between all of those people, they had probably reviewed for their clients, just like your, your existing client has probably helped review, um, a hundred or two, um, opportunity reviews with your salespeople alongside you as they were getting you ramped up. So there was probably 100,000 opportunity reviews. And every one of those 200 consultants said that salespeople, the, the thing they do worst is those personal wins and the business results. They don't understand the customer's outcome. And uh, since that time, I've left and I've, I've gone to, a, I've talked with the consultants of a couple of those competitors. Uh, and, and they call it something different. They don't call it wins and results. They call it a bunch of other things, but the salespeople still stink at it no matter what you call it. So this is, uh, it's not the fault of the methodology. It's what it's that we are so proud of what we sell and our features of what we sell that we start talking about that, not what the customer is buying and a universal mistake. And I guess the other thing that I want to make sure that we talk about is that man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other hearth and fireplace manufacturers and you've got some differences, but even a small seeming difference can make a big difference to an end user, either through a channel, uh, through your channel. It might make, it might be a difference that makes a, a difference to the, the reseller, the installing uh, distributor, or it might be a difference that makes, uh, or a, a small feature difference that makes a difference to the end user. Tell us a little bit, and if you have any examples close at hand, tell us a little bit about small differences that made big differences to a customer in terms of the value and the impact. Sure, and, and I think this is one that probably, uh, no matter what, what business your, your listener uh, may be in, I think they could probably apply it, but, um, in, in our category, uh, we're only about 1% of what a home builder spends on the cost of a house. I mean, I'm not talking about the ground, the dirt cost, but just brick and mortar costs. A home builder spends about 1% on the fireplace, but it's a huge emotional focal point for their buyers. So we have undue leverage if you, if you would, sure. um, so it's, it's important for, for the builder to get the right fireplace in, but where, what's probably more important than anything is because we're only 1% of his budget, there is no way in heck that we can be responsible for anything going wrong on that job, delaying his build cycle, not being there the first time, right every time. So we really, from our organization, we've, and, and our sales teams, Mark, we are so blessed 
to have what we call the back wheel behind us, which is our manufacturing uh, capabilities and our logistics and delivery. We, we have almost, um, you know, we're, we're in the high 90 percentile. We're 98, 99% complete on time, every delivery, every time, regardless of, of weather, regardless of COVID, everything else that's going on. And, and it's, it's almost to the point where our, our trade partners, our distributors, our dealers just assume, hey, your stuff's going to be here when we order it, and it's going to be right, and the quality is going to be right. But if you have any kind of little hiccup in that, now that expectation is no longer met. And so yeah. once, you set, once you set that bar and you set that as the standard, now that's the cadence and that's the expectation and that's what you have to meet every day. And so what that allows not just our salespeople, but our distributors and our dealer salespeople to do is go in and so, so what? So we ship everything on time, big deal. Well, it is a big deal because now a salesperson doesn't have to have in the back of their mind, if, I, if I'm successful selling this system through to this home builder or this homeowner, gosh, I hope it's going to get here on time and they're not going to make me break this promise that I just made. And so they can, you know, you hear the term sell with confidence, but they can lean in. They don't have to play defense. They don't have to be on their heels. And all they have to focus on when they're in front of the customer is what that customer wants. They don't have to have any, any no other chatter in their mind at all about anything else. That's, that's really a nice peace of mind for the seller. But let's, let's dive in a little bit to the home builder when uh, something doesn't arrive right. So it was 1% of the total bill of materials cost or the total cost. But when that item isn't right, uh, what happens in the builder's world? Because um, home building is one of those areas where it is an assembly line, but it's the line moving past the product rather than the product working past the worker. But if you can just make that mental flip, home building is a very automated thing. And if one part of the assembly line uh, has a hiccup, what happens at the builder? Yeah, it, that's, a, that, that's a very insightful question on your and, part. And how many, how many dollars does that yeah. cost compared to the 1% in the total cost that that fireplace had in the bill of materials. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if it's a, um, if it's a large, if it's a big custom builder mark where they're doing, you know, large multi-million dollars, several thousand square feet homes, such as you're probably sitting in right now. Um, <laughs> I had to get, I had to get that in there. Um, a custom, a custom build site usually has a little more flexibility to it. But if you're talking these production builders, the big national and regional home builders that we do a lot of business with, their, their build cycles are down to the day and, you know, they're scheduling online. Our distributors know what day they're supposed to be on that job and in that house, putting that fireplace in. If we miss that day, well, guess what? Guess who's coming tomorrow? The insulators. Well, has, guess who's coming two days from now? The sheet rockers. So all of this thing, you know, you, 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 sort, of, you sort of start backing up and, and the builder's going, you're throwing my production schedule off for what, 1% of my budget? Yeah. You're kidding, right? And, 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 get and yeah, my sheet rockers, I can, I can get away with not paying them, but they will go find somebody else to work for who will pay them. And how easy is it going to be for me to get back? And how is that going to affect every other house in this uh, development? So maybe I'm going to have to pay them for doing nothing. 
And it, I mean, it just goes on and on. And a tiny thing turns into a ginormous thing for somebody. Right. Um, and I was impressed that you said that you're able to do that even through all this COVID. So we're, you and I are talking, for those of you who are listening to this, um, we're in the middle of June We're and recording this in the middle of the June. So if you're listening to this later, that's kind of the context. And um, we were talking a little bit and I wanted to spend a little bit of time before we, we run out of time together talking about what is the new normal and I have my opinions that it's it's not going to be a new normal, uh, that change was the norm before COVID, and it's not going to magically transition into some uh, very different but manageable single new normal. Uh, I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, it's um, and conversationally inside the business here, Mark, we've we've sometimes used a, a car wreck analogy to this COVID thing, right? When you when you're in a when you're in an automobile accident, there's that initial just shock. The airbag deploys. You know, you're kind of dazed, but then you go, "Wow, okay, I'm alive." You crawl out of the car, and then the, the next thing is, "Okay, now what?" Right. And what's next? And and so this whole what what's next thing, and it's been interesting to it's been very impressive to watch our our trade partners and our leadership at our company here um, just sort of manage through this. And and there's that sort of you know human nature triage, right? How how do I first and foremost how, let's define the scope of this thing? What's the impact on our team health wise, right? Yeah. What's going to be the impact on our supply chain? And, and then what's the, what, what's the, as you said, what's that new normal going forward? And um, I, I think in, in, in some of our markets were more impacted than others. Some had total shutdown, whether you were new construction or, or not. Uh, one of the blessings for us was in, all, in most markets, in most states, new residential construction was deemed an essential industry. So we were able to continue to, to function but wow, we had to be a lot more deliberate and cautious in how we did it, right? We had to make sure our members uh, stayed safe. And we, it, 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 it was almost trying to make decisions on the spot, but also realizing not everything has to be decided today, right? You can decide too quickly yeah. too. And so it's, that became a little bit of an art in our senior team here, of which I'm not part of, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not on the senior team. I'm on a different senior team, but our <laughs> senior team, our senior team here were, uh, they were, they were exceptional at knowing what decisions had to be made and then not mucking up the water with something that could wait a little bit and, and let us focus on the right stuff. So it's, it's interesting what, what you, you said, you think the new normal is, is what, what the old normal was. Say a little bit more about that. Well, you know, we always told ourselves that the only constant is change. And that was yeah. before COVID. And uh, I was talking to another consultant said he was, uh, had surveyed CEOs and 63% of them said, we're going to be surveying our customers and find out what's changed and make a new plan. And my standpoint is that that's the wrong thought process. Certainly you need to find out what, where your customers are today, but if you design uh, a new static normal, you're going to be behind because things are going to be changing uh, just as much as they ever were, probably a little bit more. And so instead of adjusting to a new normal, 
Uh, I think the mantra is going to have to be like radical responsiveness, not figuring out what to do, but figuring out how to learn what's new at a rapid basis, how to fold that into your processes on a rapid basis. So you've, you've got systems that are built to change and adapt, not systems that are built to optimize for uh, a temporary reality. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair, and and I think what COVID did is it moved people, and you're right, change has been the only constant, but what what it really put was a lot of velocity to that change right now because people moved from a mindset of, yeah, we should do that to, oh man, we have to do that, yeah. and here here's a, here's an example, right? The way the way home builders used to sell homes was especially the production builders they would have a model home with a model home agent sitting there open like a retail store and you know people would come in and maybe interested in a house maybe just getting design ideas you're not sure they had to radically change overnight how they sell because now you can't have a model home open to the public now it has to be by appointment or by virtual selling and people were thinking man, who's going to spend several hundred thousand dollars on a new home and not see it? Well, it's happening every day. And, yeah. and that, that, that the home building industry pivoted almost overnight to successfully selling hundred, hundreds of thousands of value uh, items online. And only because you had the inspiration of desperation of the COVID thing that if you didn't figure out a way to sell online, you weren't going to sell any homes. Wow. Yeah. What a great, what a great story. Is there anything else uh, that, that you would like to make sure that we get out that you'd like to talk about or, or share with people before we, before we wrap it? Um, I, I think, and hopefully this will have general value to, to everyone as well is, is, and we mentioned, we touched on it earlier about the, the mistake we make when we train our salespeople to talk about us and our story. Um, I've got this simple little uh, mnemonic that I try and get our salespeople to remember, and that's just called is, does, because. And that's a game that you can only play after you've had the patience to listen to the customer's story. And you'll only hear the customer's story if you've taken time to put some smart questions together. And so then when you're patient, when you've put a good string of questions together, you've patiently listed, listened, you've asked follow-up questions, now you've earned the right to go, okay, based on what you've said, Mark, this is what this product or solution is. This is what this uniquely does. And I'm recommending it because you said. And those three words of because you said now you've proven a couple things. I've listened to your story, Mark. I understand your story, and I understand how I can alleviate your pain or help you to achieve some gain you're looking for. And so just that, that simple little is, does, because forces salespeople to get out of their own head and out of their own story and into the story of the customer. And when, when you leave a conversation like that with a customer, when they feel like they led the conversation, they got their story out, that's when a customer, and this is the highest bar that, you, that I always say a salesperson should meet, after you leave a customer's office 
if somebody came in and said, would you have paid for that conversation? Was there enough value that you would, you would have paid for the conversation and what you learned from that salesperson? If they can say yes to that, that's the penultimate bar. Right. That's the ultimate, not penal. That, that's the ultimate. That's the peak, man. That's, yeah. that's Nirvana. That's Nirvana for a salesperson. If you can, if you can honestly get that out of. Them. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. I, I love that is does because, because, you know, we talk in the sales training industry about align your solution to the customer's uh, perceived value. And you did it in three words, which is, I don't know how many Twitter characters you boiled it down to something simple and uh, easily crystallizable, which is part of why I part of why I love you, man, and uh, why I'm so glad that you joined us today. Thank you very much, Tim. How can people get a hold of you if they want to get to know you more or start following you on social media? Sure, um, on uh, on LinkedIn is probably the best place if you if you want to follow along for a daily uh, a daily sales tip from uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, I'm just find me at Tim Rethlake, R-E-T-H-L-A-K-E, and um, you'll notice my bio says there that I'm I'm open to sharing sales stories around the fire. So, and and and, and that I found LinkedIn to be a a good avenue for for getting best practices as well as sharing. So, it's uh, it's a good it's a good resource for all sales professionals to take advantage of. I think. That's great. Well, thanks. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. And just remember, we think that value is something that only exists in your customer's brain, which means that your success is all in your customer's mind. Thanks and have a really valuable day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.